Indeed, may all that be to Christ our Savior alone. If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. Actually, though, the passage we're going to be looking at is also in the back of your bulletin because it is the passage that we are working to memorize. And it is John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. This is a very important passage for us to know by heart, and that's the reason why we review it and learn it every four years as a part of our Family Bible Time Milk Book. It's, it's also a very special passage that the reason it's so important to memorize is because there are times in our lives where we can find great comfort turning to these verses, and these verses point us in the right direction. It's also appropriate that as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's table and observing communion and giving thanks to the Lord for what He's done, to consider that these were the words that He shared in that same context, in that same time, when He gave to us and commanded that we partake of the bread and drink of the cup and remembering His broken body and shed blood, that it's in the context of this. And so I just wanted to take a few moments here this afternoon for us to look at these verses, to reminisce on them for some of us. It's hard. It's one of those passages that's kind of hard to, to teach or preach on because it is so familiar. Um, but it's also one that is, is hard sometimes also to meditate on because it's so familiar. So I hope that this afternoon, the familiarity of it will not distract us from the significance of these verses. It's often true for other famous verses, such as John 3.16. We know it, we can rotely say it, we can say it fast, we can say it slow, we can say it in our sleep. Do we know what it's saying and the significance and the profoundness of those words? So follow with me. As In fact, actually, could you take your Bibles and look with me and let us read it in unison? If you don't have your Bible, it's on the back of the bulletin. And let us read John 14, 1 through 6 together in unison. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I in the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. These introductory words of Jesus to his discussion with his disciples that actually continues on through, all the way through the end of chapter 17 when Jesus finishes this conversation in prayer. It's a special passage that we oftentimes look at when there is death because it looks to a time in heaven. But it's really a passage that is focused on our blessed hope. If you notice on the front of our bulletin, 
we have a verse from Titus that speaks of us looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We use a Latin word to describe this called the rapture, which literally means the catching up. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, another famous two verses that we all need to memorize where it speaks of the Lord coming back. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be raptured, caught up together with them in the clouds to be with meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And so, it is a special consideration, this, this rapture, of a time of comfort to believers. In fact, that's how Jesus starts off here in this conversation. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, we've memorized that, or if you're like me, you learned it when you were real little, and those words just roll off your tongue. And if you've been to many funerals, they just roll out. What's it mean, though, let not your heart be troubled? When was the last time any one of us ever said, my heart is troubled? Now, some of us might use that phrase, but that's not normally how we would describe ourselves when our heart is troubled. But there's a lot of occasions and things that trouble our hearts. We don't typically say when someone has died and we're grieving that our heart is troubled. But when we're grieving, that's what's going on. Our heart is troubled. When we are weary of this life, whether because of temptations and trials of sin or of just the frailties of life, our hearts are tempted to be troubled. We might use words like fretting, worrying, fearful, afraid, bothered. You know, we might use that one more common. You know, it doesn't sound so bad as, 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 as fearful. Or anxious. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. So, do we ever have troubled hearts? I do. I have a troubled heart. It seems that I have heart disease sometimes. It's so troubled. We have troubled hearts all the time for different reasons. And Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. So when we find ourselves with a troubled heart, what should we do? Well, before me just giving you the answer, how about if you look at verse 1, and tell me if Jesus gives us any ideas or hints of what we should do when we find ourselves with a troubled heart. Did you find it? You can look up at me and smile at me when you find it. Oh, good. Because it's something to smile about, isn't it? When we find ourselves with a troubled heart, we need to remember that Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. What do we do when our troubled heart is bothering us? We believe in Jesus. We believe in God. Now, what does that mean? What's that mean? 
Does that mean that we believe Jesus existed? Yeah. Does that mean we believe Jesus did many great and wonderful things when he was here on earth? Yeah. Well, is that all it means? Oh, no. It means that we believe and we trust ourselves to him. We know that he is not only Jesus, but he is God. And when we believe in him, we are trusting in him. And you know what he brings? Well, later on here in this very same chapter, he gives peace. He gives peace. In fact, in verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Well, in believing Jesus, it's believing that this is true. Believing that he can give us peace, that he will give us peace. And if we keep reading, we find out because it's because he loves us. And when we believe in him, he gives to us his Holy Spirit, whom here is described in later in this chapter, in verse 16 and other places, as the comforter. Oh, when we think of someone who is grieving the loss of a loved one, their hearts are troubled, and what do we want to do when we go to see them? We want to comfort them, right? Well, how many times are our hearts troubled for many, many, many different reasons when we all need comforted? Well, when we believe in God and believe in Jesus, we also believe in the Holy Spirit the one who is the comforter who will come alongside us and give us peace. And so, when you're memorizing these verses and you're memorizing, let not your heart be troubled. Look over and don't forget the rest of what this is expanded in in verse 27. In fact, if you write in your Bibles like I like to do, right, right after that phrase there, just put the number 27, or however you need it to put 1427, because 1427 gives the expanded, well, actually, the whole, whole conversation through chapter 17 gives the expanded of it. This is just the introductory comments, and the whole rest of it is all about it. But here is an expanding of what that is, that we need not be troubled, and we need not be afraid, because Jesus will give us peace. Oh, and it's so wonderful. He also gives us a picture into what he's going to go do. See, this is the night before Jesus was crucified. He knows that within 24 hours, these disciples are going to be in the place of troubled heart like they've never been before. They're going to be in a place of having hearts that are sick and troubled like they've never been before. And so he's going to give them a little glimpse as to where he's going and what he's going to do and how it is going to relate to them, which is true for us too. No matter what varying degree of a troubled heart we have, we need not be troubled. We need not be afraid. And in fact, there's something for us to think about. He says in 
my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Within 24 hours of Jesus saying this, these disciples are not going to feel at home on this planet Earth. In fact, I think a lot of us have a yearning for a home we don't have here. No matter how nice our home is here, how comfortable it is, how wonderful it is, how well insulated it is, whatever it is, we really, as Christians, have a longing for home. And it's not here. It's not here. Jesus says he's going to go prepare a place for us. And he tells us that in his Father's house there are many mansions. Now, some of you, when you think of home and then you think of mansions, if you've ever visited some mansions, you might say, well, I'm not looking for a mansion. <laughs> That's just a big, cold place. I just need a nice, cozy home. Well, this word here, mansions, is really intriguing because it can carry the idea of the big, great palace, but it also carries the idea of a place that is home. Home. Now, I don't know if the streets in heaven are going to have names, but we know by looking at other scriptures that the streets are paved with gold. Now, we might think it's silly to live on Gold Avenue, but there's a Gold Avenue in heaven, and there are mansions prepared, but they're not cold and Oh, actually, if you think about, have you ever, have you ever been in a, um, I wonder how many of you have ever been in a place like Versailles in France where everything is just gold gilded? How many of you ever been in a place like that? Not many of you. I've been, I've been in Versailles. You ever heard of the, they call it the Hall of Mirrors or it's, it's, it's everything that is mirrors or gilt. Everything. And you know what? <sighs> I was looking forward to it. I, let's see, I would have been, I would have been 14 years old when I got to visit Versailles. And I was th look, so looking forward to seeing the Hall of Mirrors in the French Palace of Versailles. You know, it was an incredible letdown. It really was. Joel was just a baby back then. But you made it back, right? Was it a letdown for you? Oh, he was impressed. Oh, one of the other bedrooms in the Versailles Palace was, again, was gilded everywhere. You know, I hear that our, our, one of our recent presidents has a place and everything's gilded. And, and often, I don't think of that as being very homey and comfortable. But here's the thing of it all. Regardless of what our perspective is now or will be then, it's going to be a place for us. I, I, I imagine... May, may I share what we talked about a while back, Miss Fultz, about your dad? Miss, Miss Fultz's dad was an architect. So actually in, in their family home's basement, you can actually, well, before it got cleaned out, there were just all kinds of drawings of churches that he had designed over the years. And um, I, I told Miss Fultz, I, I can just imagine her dad and her brothers and her mom 
hanging out of the drafting table with Jesus saying, now how are we going to design the place for Pam? I, I really do. It's, uh, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of care that he has for us and what that place is going to be. It's going to be designed just for us. It's, 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 the, it's, it's this mansion, but the idea of the mansion is, is that personal thing. You know, you might be the person who likes all the, um, the gilding and everything, and that, that might be the way it works out. But then you might be the guy who decorates everything with John Deere, and it might be decorated with John Deere. Some of you are wrinkling your noses at that. I've heard of people that decorate their rooms or houses with John Deere. I don't know if that'd be in heaven. I don't know. But I do know that there are many mansions, and these aren't cold, sterile, impersonal places. They'll be designed just for us. And the one who created the heavens and the earth, and we see all the beauty in creation, is it of one who is designing a place for you? That's special. It's a perspective we can shift, we can look to. And this is what's intriguing. I think that when we get to heaven, it's not going to make a big deal to us. It's not going to make a big deal to us. But it's intriguing at how in this, Jesus does use it as an encouragement. He does use it as an encouragement. Just at lunchtime today, we were talking about houses, you know, and um, some of you guys were in the part of that conversation. And we're talking about what it has looked like in previous generations and what it looks like now and what it will look like in the future and all kinds of different things. All that's good. But let me tell you, no matter what works out here, it's nothing like our forever home. And Jesus is preparing it. He's preparing this place for us. And with that, knowing where he's at and something he's doing, look at verse 3. He says, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Now this is tied to something very cultural in Jesus' day, Jewish culture. In that day, when a man and a woman were betrothed, or you could say engaged, it was more significant than engagement, but when they were betrothed to be married, there was a period of time in which the groom, the husband, he's actually called a husband, would go and he would prepare a place for their family. He would go and get it ready. And once it was all ready, he would go to the house of his bride and he'd take her right hand and his right hand and they'd lift their hands over their head, declaring them to be married, and he'd bring her back to the place he prepared for her. 
Imagine with me if you were such a bride and it seemed he was taking a long time. Do you think you might be tempted to have a troubled heart? I wouldn't. And Jesus knows that. And that's again why he's, just, he's bringing this idea of this relationship that is more than just a home but it is this relationship of the most sacred of human relationships of marriage that he invokes and he makes this promise I'm going to go I'm going to prepare a place for you just like a groom would do for his soon to be bride and I'm not going to forget about you I'm not going to come by some travesty or accident in the way, which put yourself in the disciples' shoes. There's a travesty coming when? That night. This is why Jesus is giving this. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm, I'm going to go away. But I'm going to be preparing you a place, and I will come again. I don't know if the disciples thought of this that next night when Jesus lay dead in a cold, dark tomb. I'm sure their hearts were troubled. We know that their hearts were troubled. Did they consider this? Now, at that point, Jesus hadn't yet ascended to his Father. He didn't do that for another three days. But he did in those three days. And then if we look further on in the sequence of events that I hope you know, Jesus died three days later, he rose from the dead, and then 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, where that began what's being described here. And he is going to come back that same way. It's a promise. It's a promise. It's a promise. That's why it's so important. That's why we're working on memorizing this passage. That in no matter when you feel homesick or your heart is troubled for any reason, believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Remember his promise. Think about what he's doing right now. You know, one of the incredible things about being God is that he's infinite. And some of you are husbands. You ever struggle with a split focus? Struggle with giving the priority and attention to your wife, to your kids, to your job, and then to everything else that vies for your time? You know what's incredible about the Lord Jesus Christ as God? He is giving full-time attention to each one of us personally. Have you ever thought about that? When you are praying to Jesus, who is the interceder, it is as personal as if he was sitting there right next to you holding your hand. Now think about that when we gather together as a group of prayer, as a church. How many people are praying? Let's expand that to the, to the city of South Bend. How many people are praying at the same time? To the state, to the country, to the world. Jesus in his infiniteness is engaged in each one of those prayers as if 
There was no one else. Imagine if there was an architect working for you for 2,000 years who knows everything about you building a place for you. And he's doing this for every one of us as if we were the only one. This is Jesus, our God. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 4, he says, And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Now, if Jesus were to say that to you, how would you would answer? I don't know how you would answer, but let me tell you, don't be shy to tell the truth. Don't be afraid to tell the truth. Jesus says here that whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. That means that you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. If Jesus were to tell this to you, would you say, that's right, Jesus, I sure do? Or would you say, I really don't know? I think it's amazing that here in these disciples, I think they did know. I think they did know. They had heard it, but I didn't think they knew. And I'm so thankful that Thomas, <laughs> I'm so thankful that Thomas said, wait a minute, Jesus, time out. We don't know. I think Thomas, if he thought about it, could have come up with a pretty good answer. But it wasn't there entirely. And that's why I'm encouraged by him, because sometimes I'm like Thomas. And sometimes even though I know verse 6, I'm living like verse 5. And that's the reason why my heart's troubled. And so I'm thankful for Thomas because he helps me and I think he can help you to be honest with Jesus. He says, Lord, we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? And Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Believe in Jesus. He's the only way. Believe in Jesus. He is the truth. Believe in Jesus. He is life. Now again, put yourself in the disciples' position. They've just finished, or they're about to actually partake of bread and cup, as we will. And here Jesus has said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Where will Jesus be in 24 hours? In a cold, dark tomb. How is he in a cold, dark tomb, the way the truth, the life. He's dead. Now, I'm so glad 
that you all are sitting here and you're like, oh, pastor, you know what's going to happen. You're right, I do. I think many of you do too. For three days later, he rose from the dead. Now let me ask you this question. Do we live each moment of every day living in the reality that Jesus is alive? Living in the Prince of Life and the Prince of Life living in us. Sometimes we forget. I use we on purpose. We forget. We get caught up in providing for life that we forget true life. And I believe that's one reason why Jesus commanded us as oft as we do this, this being communion, we do it in remembrance of him. We need to take time to pause in the rat race. Pause in the busyness and chaos of life. Pause in the busyness of preparing our places to remember the Prince of Life who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that when all the things of this temporal life trouble us, we believe in him. And this causes us to look back, to remember, and it causes us to look up, to give thanks, and it causes us to look into the future, to praise him that he will keep his promise. He's coming back. That's the purpose of why we remember. That's the purpose of why we do this as oft as we do it in remembrance of him. And so, as you memorize this month or review this month, John 14, verses 1 to 6, I pray that you will take time not just to memorize the words, but that you will take time to meditate upon the glorious truth that is in these words. I encourage you further in this Easter season that you take time as you memorize these verses to also read chapters 14 through 17 and to think about the message that went along with this. This is just the introduction. And we get to the benediction prayer in chapter 17. And I think that it will be a very great blessing for us to take time, take time, to throughout the month as we memorize these verses, to remember, to remember our Savior.